Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Midweek Bible Study 2023 Spring Edition. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, April 26th. Today we're going to study 1 Peter chapter 4, the whole chapter, and we're going to talk about living for Christ and what that means. There's a lot to talk about, but before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for the privilege we have once again. We've gathered in your name to worship you through the study of your word. Open our hearts to receive it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into another person's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Amen to the reading of his word. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in, starting with verse 1. Once again, it says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Now last week in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Peter explained that Christ had suffered and died for sins once for all, and that believers should be ready to suffer. He explained that if they had to suffer, it should be for doing good, not for doing evil, in order to be a good witness to the unbelievers. 
In this opening verse, the point is slightly different. How is it different, and why is that important for believers today? Peter is saying that believers ought to be ready to suffer as Christ suffered, not simply to be a good witness to others, but in order to stay away from sin. The phrase, arm yourselves, that's a military metaphor. So then, what were the believers to arm themselves with? They were to arm themselves with the attitude that Christ had towards suffering. And this doesn't mean that believers should actively seek martyrdom, but they should arm themselves for death if necessary. If believers suffer, it ought to be for living the Christian faith. They ought to suffer courageously, knowing that God will ultimately be victorious. Those who are armed with this intention have an unswerving resolve to do God's will in every situation and will be able to stand strong in the face of any persecution. They can persevere because of their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Having died in Christ, Christians are one with him and are legally free from the penalty of sin. They are in union with Christ, so they regard themselves as dead to sin. Believers are no longer bound by sin's penalty, so they must strive in practice to be free from its power. Suffering can be helpful in that area. Just as Christ's suffering led to death and resurrection, so our suffering can help us stop sinning and enter more fully into a new life of service for God. Christ's suffering made him victorious over Satan, and believers' suffering, if they follow Christ's example, can strengthen their faith and solidify their obedient lifestyle. Believers ought to arm themselves with a resolve to be like Christ when they face suffering. Next up, verse 2. It reads, You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. The question is, this verse continues a thought Peter began in the last verse. What is he saying? In verse 1, Peter said that Christians who have suffered in their bodies have ceased from sin. This isn't intended to mean that Christians who have suffered or who are willing to experience persecution have achieved sinless perfection. We may still make sinful choices. What has changed is the direction of life for Christians who have physically suffered for Christ or for those who have learned to expect persecution as part of our purpose here on earth. Such Christians have chosen the path leading away from indulging in sin as a lifestyle. It's really a question of our reason for getting out of bed in the morning. What drives us? Christians who are prepared to endure struggles for Christ are motivated to do the will of God, even if it hurts. Otherwise, we would use up our lives chasing the fulfillment of our human passions. We would live to find pleasure, material possessions, or status and significance in the eyes of other people. Next up, verse 3, it says, You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting on drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Here's our question. Here Peter writes that his readers have spent enough time in their pre-Christian past doing what comes naturally as non-believers. What is the overall message that Peter wants us to know from this verse? Peter's message is that for Christ followers, the days of living for sensuality, sexual pleasure, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and worshiping false items are over. If they ever had such a life, if the believer ever led such a life, those committed to Christ should see it as in the past and it has no place in their future. Notice again the difference. This is not simply some list of sins Christians must avoid. This is a list of addictions which entangle those who live for comfort and pleasure. Those who live for the will of God 
with a willingness to experience physical suffering to accomplish it, set the course for their lives in a completely different direction. Let's look at verse 4. It reads, Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. The question is, why does Peter say our former friends will be surprised and slander us? When a person becomes a Christian, sometimes his or her lifestyle changes dramatically. This was especially true for first century Christians who had come out of a morally corrupt pagan world. Many of Peter's readers were Jewish Christians, but as the previous verse indicates, many had also sought pleasure by denying themselves nothing. But when the Christians stopped behaving that way, not only were their friends surprised, but they also slandered them. This describes the reaction of people who love darkness when they become confronted by the light. A believer's refusal to participate in an activity is a silent condemnation of that activity. Unbelievers often then react with hostility, but they want to justify their actions or silence their own consciences. Next verses 5 and 6, they read, But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both living and the dead. This is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Here's the question. Now Peter talks about judgment for those who live immorally and say evil things about Christians. But yet he gives believers great relief and confidence as well. Can you explain that? It's a great comfort to know that one day these people who live immorally and say evil things about Christians will have to face God and give an account for their behavior. And since judgment may come at any moment, that's why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. That's what it said in the verse. These words have caused many a debate among Bible scholars with differing views that emerge. But what I believe the takeaway here is, is that Peter's readers needed to be reminded that the dead, both the faithful and their oppressors, would be raised from the dead, the faithful to eternal reward and the unfaithful to eternal punishment. Peter points out that God's judgment will be perfectly fair because even those dead from ages past have heard the gospel. The good news was first announced when Jesus Christ preached on the earth, but it has been operating since before the creation of the world and it eternally affects all people, the dead as well as the living. Next up, verses seven through nine, they read, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. In these verses, Peter gives us both a vertical component of how we relate to God and a horizontal component of how we relate to other people. Can you identify and explain these components? And here's a hint for you. Verse 7 has the first component, verse 8 the next, and verse 9 the last one. All right, let's take a look at this. First, let's look at verse 7 because it's here Peter gives us the vertical component for relating to God. The fact that God is ready to judge back in verse 5 means that the end of the world is coming soon. These early Christians who faced persecution took great comfort in the fact that their suffering would one day end and that the evil ways of the wicked would be judged. The Lord is ready and waiting, desiring that the gospel should be preached to all the nations before he returns. Peter, like the other apostles, was always aware that Christ could return at any moment. Likewise, believers today must always remember that Christ can come at any time. The shortness of time remaining 
should motivate believers to be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The meeting for today calls for self-discipline when we pray. Rather than merely a quick blessing on our food or a three-minute devotional, we should reserve extended times for sober, direct communication with God. Lack of prayer will render us unprepared for the end times. Next in verse 8 is the first horizontal component regarding how we will relate to other people. Peter says that a deep love for each other is a great defense. No Christian is an island, nor is one alone. When believers experience deep love from the fellowship, they have the human network of support that can help them through any crisis. The same thought as love covers a multitude of sins is found in Proverbs 10:12, which says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. This doesn't mean that love ignores, overlooks, or tries to hide sin. Instead, Peter probably was thinking back to his words in verses 1 and 2 that the believers should live the rest of their lives according to God's will and not human desires. As believers, they should stop sinning. The covering of sins, then, is the ability that believers have to forgive one another because Christ has forgiven them. Love works as a shock absorber, cushioning and smoothing out the bumps and irritations caused by fellow believers. And finally, in verse 9, we have the second horizontal component of relating to others, and that is to cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, folks, this is different from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless, the food must be well-prepared and abundant, and the host must appear relaxed and good-natured. In contrast, sharing the home focuses on the guests. The primary concern is their needs, whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance. This can happen in a messy home. It can even happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. Believers should not hesitate to share with those who need a meal or a place to stay just because they're too busy or not wealthy enough to entertain. Hospitality is a strong expression of love, which Peter already commanded the believers to show back in verse 8. All right, let's look at verses 10 and 11. They say, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Here's the question. In these verses, Peter is talking about spiritual gifts. What's the overall point he's trying to make? To start with, Peter is saying that each person has received one or more spiritual gifts from God a talent or an ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used in the ministry of the church, to serve other people, in other words. He also says these people didn't own the gifts, but instead were stewards of what God had graciously provided for them. These gifts of grace took various forms, and the apostles' friends were to faithfully use them whenever and wherever possible. The spiritual gifts that Peter mentions in verse 11 represent only a few of the many that God has given his people in Asia Minor. The bottom line here is that as believers diligently helped one another and relied on God for enabling, they would bring him honor through Jesus Christ. Others would see the believers ministering in the name of Jesus and praise God for it. And to end these verses, the thought of God being honored moved Peter to write a doxology of praise. Glory and power belong to the Lord forever and ever. Peter then affirmed this truth with an amen, which might be paraphrased, so be it. 
In these next verses, verses 12 to 19, Peter continues with living for Christ, but he talks about suffering for being a Christian. Let's find out what this is about. Look at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. The question is, in these verses, Peter talks about believers not being surprised when they undergo trials and that they should be glad when it happens. What is his point here? Like Christ, Christians should expect to face persecution and suffering because they are part of God's plan to perfect them. If we suffer, it shows our identification with Christ and it shows that our faith is real. And if we persevere, we will enjoy our future inheritance with him. Servants who know the suffering of Christ will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory. Does this mean that all suffering is the result of good Christian conduct, though? Absolutely not. Sometimes a person will grumble, he's just picking on me because I'm a Christian, when it's obvious to everybody else that the person's own unpleasant behavior is really the cause of his or her problems. It may take careful thought or wise counsel to determine the real cause of our suffering, but we can be assured that whenever we suffer because of our loyalty to Christ, he will be with us all the way. Next up, verse 14 says, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter gives a specific example of the type of suffering a believer might face. What is it, and what does it mean? To be insulted means to face verbal abuse, to be criticized, ridiculed, or slandered. Not only will suffering believers find great joy when Christ returns, but the glorious Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, folks, would come upon them. Christ will send his Spirit to strengthen those who are persecuted for their faith. Next, verse 15, it says, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. The question is, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Peter made the point that not all suffering resulted in blessing. What is his point in this verse? Peter is saying that sometimes believers broke the law, and in these instances, the authorities were right to punish them. Peter said the Christians should not be guilty of criminal activities such as murdering and stealing. They should not even meddle in other people's affairs. All these offenses were wrong and brought shame, not honor, to the cause of Christ. Next up, verse 16. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. The question is, why would there be no shame to suffer for being a Christian? The actual word Christian appears only three times in the Bible. I found this fascinating. This verse right here in Acts 11 verse 26 and then again in Acts 26 verse 28. It's entirely possible that the word was used as an insult by unbelievers in Peter's day. He rejects the idea that being associated with Christ should ever be received as an insult though. Believers must reject any shame for genuinely suffering for Christ's sake. Instead, we should boldly give glory to God in the name of Christ, right in the middle of our suffering for him. It's also an honor to carry the title of Christian if it truly indicates our identity in Christ and our place in God's family forever. In a culture that hates Christianity and Christian values, this is a parallel honor to physical persecution. If we are different enough from the world and similar enough to Christ that the world hates us, it's a sign we're doing something right. All right, let's look at verse 17. It says, 
For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? The question is, what does the phrase, the time has come for judgment, mean, and who will it affect? The judgment Peter refers to here is for the purpose of purifying our faith. You can go back to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 for reference. It is meant to draw us to trust God more deeply, to abandon our hope of finding satisfaction in anything apart from him. It's our faith, our trust in him, which our Father values in us. He values it so much that he's willing to allow us to experience great suffering to help us grow fully dependent on him. Peter further makes a sobering point regarding God's judgment. God is willing to allow his dearly loved children to suffer under his judgment in order to purify and rescue them. Consider then that those who fully reject faith in Christ, declining the gospel, are going to experience far, far worse. All right, verse 18. We're almost there. Hang in there, folks. Verse 18 says, And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? The question here is, in this verse, Peter is reinforcing his rhetorical question from the previous verse by quoting from Proverbs 11.31. What is his point? Well, first of all, let's look at what Proverbs 11.31 says. It reads, If the righteous are rewarded here on earth, what will happen to wicked sinners? His point is that if the righteous, meaning the believers, experience difficulty in their refining process, how much more horrible will be the great disaster experienced for eternity by the godless and sinners who chose to reject Christ? The phrase barely saved means with difficulty. Peter was not introducing uncertainty to the believer's salvation. Instead, he was talking about the difficult road believers must travel. It's not easy to be a Christian, and we've got to count the cost for that. And now finally, our last verse for today, the end of chapter 4, verse 19. It says, So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Our last question today is this. How should Christians respond to suffering in this life, especially the suffering we experience being identified with Jesus? First, we should understand that sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer. So far, Peter has revealed that God may use our hopelessness in the face of hardship to point others to faith in Christ. He may use our struggles for Christ's glory, and he may use our suffering as a kind of discipline to grow our faith in him. So understanding that we may experience difficult times is a part of God's will. God calls us to entrust our souls to him. This is a declaration to ourselves and the world around us that we will not wait for circumstances to improve before we call God good. We will believe that our good God is caring for us through our suffering and into the glory of eternity. We trust our souls to the one who created our souls and everything else. Nobody is more worthy of our trust. So what should we do now while waiting for that day, even as we may suffer? What is the evidence that we trust in him? We give evidence to the world by doing good. Nothing speaks more powerfully of our faith in God through Christ than to continue to do good even when we suffer. When we choose not to spend our energy seeking revenge or mind-numbing pleasure, we demonstrate that we are indeed a holy people set apart by God for his purposes. Amen. Well, folks, that brings us to an end of our study today. First Peter chapter four. We talked about a lot of things today, didn't we? We talked about living for Christ. And in this chapter four, Peter continued to describe how Christians should respond 
when faced with persecution. He said they should take on Christ's attitude and expect God's purposes for their life to include suffering. We should set the course of our life away from mind-numbing pleasure-seeking. We should also be alert so that we can pray effectively in these end times. In fact, rejoice if you share in Christ's sufferings, he said. God uses suffering to refine the faith of his people, and our present suffering contributes to future glory. And lastly, if you suffer, keep doing good while trusting your soul to the Creator. How amazing is that? The next time, we're going to look at 1 Peter, this time chapter 5. We're going to talk about the entire chapter as well in one, and this finishes the book of 1 Peter. 2 Peter will follow in two weeks. Folks, thanks for joining me today. It's been an honor to be with you once again. I will see you right back here next time. Until then, take care, God bless you, and go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.